0: This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library.
1: Good morning, and welcome to One Book, One College event. The uh, conversation today is on bullying in schools. My name is Gail Ditchman, and I'm one of the instructors in the education department. Sitting next to me is Aileen Donnersberger. Aileen is department chair of social sciences here at Moraine Valley and also an instructor in education. Uh, I have Julie Fox next to her. Julie is the school psychologist and counselor for Lombard District number 44. Next to Julie is Stacy Sharon. Stacy is one of our teachers in the education department. And then Mary Beth Jarka. And Mary Beth is also another instructor in the education department. Here at moraine valley bullying has become prevalent throughout the united states it is one of the scariest situations going on in both public and private school i've used just three different statistics which i think tell a whole lot when you look at the fact that over 3.2 million students are victims of bullying each year that alone should set you back let alone the fact that we're talking about one in four teachers say bullying is okay and i'm not going to intervene it's just teasing every kid goes through it don't worry about it etc and only four percent of the time will teachers actually intervene in a bullying situation another statistic is 160,000 teenagers stay home from school every day because they are being bullied and they feel when we talk to them that they feel that if they go to an adult Any help they get is very ineffective and, in most cases, makes the situation even worse. Over two thirds of the students are saying that schools respond poorly to bullying, and a lot of that is catching the bullying or the bully in the act. A high percentage of the students believe that the adult help is too infrequent as well as ineffective. When we look at stopbullying.gov, this is the following definition that they give. Unwanted, aggressive behavior among school-aged children that involves a real or perceived power imbalance. The behavior is repeated or has a potential to be repeated over time.
2: Hi. So there are many different types of bullying, and so three of them that we're talking about today are the um, body contact, damaged, um, physical bullying, or direct bullying. So that means that you can see it directly. Julie, later on, will discuss cyberbullying, which generally happens through the use of the computer, um, cell phones, and or any other type of electric device. Wow, sorry about that. Um, so, this first slide is the physical bullying. And obviously, um, this is one that is very obvious. You can see it happening. And this is where you might have hitting, kicking, punching of student, um, a student on student, or many students bullying another student. And so that's what we call physical bullying. Another is the verbal bullying, and I'm, I'm sure um, you have seen or actually heard some of the bullying that goes on, and people may be targeted for different um, things that others may cons- or perceive as being abnormal, wearing glasses, um, having braces, and perhaps then they tease or, tease or insult, um, using off- offensive remarks. Oftentimes, you will have, um, homophobic jokes, racist racist jokes, sexual orientation jokes, and I'll talk a little bit more about that when I get into a um, uh, specific group that is being bullying. Um, and then, of course, you have abusive or rude language when bullying as well. And then we have social bullying, which really um, impacts you know, the social lives of many, many students. And this is spreading rumors that are very damaging to a person's self-esteem, creating untruths that um, run throughout the school and the neighborhood, which really then promotes to exclusion and excluding someone from certain groups. Also embarrassing someone in a public setting um, are all types of the social, bringing in more people in order to do the bullying. Mrs. Ditchman's going to talk about um, uh, uh, the special needs population as um, defined of when they are being bullied now.
1: One of the largest groups to be bullied are going to be those students that are labeled as special education, where they have some kind of special needs. You could probably list 200 to 400 different kinds of disabilities. I've just taken some of them. Um, One of the largest ones that's growing, and I know you are all aware of it, the latest statistics on autism are one in every 68 children are being labeled on the autistic spectrum, and those numbers are going to continue to go down. They expect it to be one in 40 within the next five years, and those are scary facts. When we look at why our special ed students are bullied, 97% of all special education students say they have been bullied one time or another. Individuals that have a disability usually also have a self-esteem issue. Sometimes they're physically vulnerable. Maybe they're in a wheelchair. Maybe they're missing a finger or something along those lines. But they look different, act different in some way, shape, or form. Many have challenges with social skills. One of my favorite stories that I have is I have a friend who has an autistic son. He was going into high school, so his mother during his eighth grade year went over every day to the high school parking lot, sat there and watched what the boys wore and how they talked to each other. And then she went out and bought the clothes that all the other boys were wearing in high school so her son would look like everybody else and they practice on how you greet somebody else, how you talk to somebody you don't know, that kind of thing, trying to help him to fit in and not be bullied into high school. There are a lot of intolerant environments, a lot of classrooms where teachers just ignore it, they stand up there, they teach, somebody's throwing a pencil or a paper wad or something along those lines, and it's usually at special education students. There's a lot of different ways. There's a lot of verbal, you can be called stupid, retard, cripple, They're mocked, they're made fun of, Um, kids call them all different kinds of names, and they expose them to things that need to be avoided, that maybe they don't understand. They might tell an off-color joke, and the student simply, the special education student doesn't understand it, but he goes on to tell it to somebody else, to a teacher, to somebody else, and then he gets in trouble. Why? Because there wasn't necessarily an intellectual understanding of it ways that we can prevent it. One is to engage our parents and talk to them. There's no question about that, that once we engage, we call home, we talk to a parent of somebody that's teasing or bullying or something along those lines, it absolutely is necessary. To create policy and rules in schools is absolutely necessary if students are caught teasing or if they are caught bullying another child. There has to be a repercussion for that rather than just having a conversation, you shouldn't do that, et cetera. We need to build safe environments for our students, whether they be special education or regular education. And we need to educate all students about what it's like to be bullied or harassed and what that feeling is like for any of you, as Ms. Donnersberger said, whoever's worn glasses. If you were ever picked last on a team for PE or you weren't very good in softball and nobody wanted you on that team, Those are the same challenges that a lot of our special education students face on a daily basis. Um, Ms. Donnersberger is going to talk about the second grouping, um, second largest grouping for bullying, and that's our LGBT students.
2: Currently, there is no um, federal laws protecting anyone in the schools regarding bullying and so um, there is something called Title IX that many of you may be aware of and that's of course providing equal opportunities for both boys and girls um, in schools um, specifically oftentimes in the sports arena and so current legislation is being discussed to help protect students who are suffering from bullying using the terminology of harassment or that a student is being harassed and therefore then if the student feels they're being harassed that may then help to protect them and give the schools some um, federal or um, legal protection in um, then Stopping the process of students being harassed. And as a result, a big population of students who are defined as lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transsexual students um, are bullied each and every day in the school um, and, and socially. And gay bullying statistics are often the largest contributing factor to the number of bullying incidents that happen every single day. And so much like the population of students that Mrs. Ditchman talked about, these are students that maybe people feel are atypical or not in the norm and therefore they descend upon them to bully them, um, identify maybe their differences from themselves and target them and they become this huge population of students who are feeling really disconnected from the rest of society and most important, the society in which they function in a school. Um, In um, 2007, a study um, said that 86% of LGBT students said that they had experienced harassment at school during the previous year. 86% of an entire population of students. That is a huge number, um, and it continues to grow. That's in 2007. So seven years ago, we were looking at 86%, and and I could only imagine that those numbers have increased. Many students then, as a result, have have a hard time accepting who they might be um, be consider coming if they are coming out in the coming out process, if they are um, becoming aware of their own sexual identity, and oftentimes the bullying then prevents them from accepting um, their own realities. And so, this is a challenge for all students, Um, the health of students, LGBT students. Um, and all of those that um, are bullied, but their health becomes at risk. Um, Oftentimes, suicidal thoughts come into uh, the brains and the minds of these students, feeling that they have nowhere to turn other than to perhaps end their own life, um, which is very, very scary. And 30% of suicides often are related to sexual identity crisis. So you have students who are coming and determining what their sexual orientation is, and then they're bullied on top of it, and then they feel the only natural end is suicide. And so it's a terrible pattern in which we are seeing in in many, many of these schools. So you have these terrible thoughts, you don't know what's going on, and then what else is going to be impacted? Education, how students are learning at school. And so everything then, um, you know, prevents or distracts these students from becoming educated, from getting or receiving the education that they deserve because of the other thoughts of suicide and bullying that they are becoming the targets of or that they are then imposing on themselves. So it's very, very scary. Many skip schools because they feel threatened um, and they feel that they'll be harassed or their property vandalized. Um, they're five times more likely to skip school um, because of the unsafe feelings that they might have because of their sexual orientation. About 28% of LGBT students feel they are forced to drop out of school altogether, um, which is more than three times the na- national average for heterosexual school students. So that's it's very, very important to recognize um, this group of people. They also feel there's a lack of support, um, and that's because they're reluctant to share due to the feelings of embarrassment, inadequacy, and they don't know who to turn to. Um, And nearly one-third of LGBT youths who reported an incident to the school staff said that the school did nothing in response. That was from Make Beats Not Beat Downs in 2003 so the schools need to be responsive to this population of students uh the students need to feel they can go to the school administrators and receive adequate if not immediate attention um and so hopefully the federal laws will change to include bullying and i know that we're actively working and legislators are working in order to include bullying as part of an overall federal um, education law so now we will have julie who will talk Um, about more specific types of bullying.
3: Thank you and good morning. I always like to start out with common ground. Um, Just take a moment and look at that slide. (laughs) Students, children and adolescents that bully often become adults that bully and they engage in bullying in the workforce. So it's not an issue or an epidemic reserved for the K-12 population. There are different forms of bullying that were already reviewed. I will be talking about relational bullying, and often the venue for that is through media, social media, websites, texting, and there's a large component of it that is anonymous, which makes it very difficult to address. There are some myths. Uh, We spent a lot of time earlier in the presentation talking about the victim, but I'd like to spend a little time talking about the perpetrator. It's a more complex profile than we had originally thought many years ago. Uh, All bullies come from broken lives and circumstances. That's patently false. All bullies have low self-esteem. That's also inaccurate. And that new research, and this is somewhat disconcerting, uh, shows that many have an inflated sense of self-worth, and they seek being looked up to, admired, and feared, and they often have above-average social skills. Even though many come from intact home environments, they've witnessed verbal and physical aggression and feel comfortable in those circumstances, whether it's the kind of media that they've been exposed to or the way in which their family relates. We know that some families use different language patterns and structures than other families, and so they've become used to, acclimated to that kind of conversation and that vocabulary. Uh, The most severe forms of bullying and violence are called by uh, the most severe cases are often categorized as acts of terror. We think about the shootings in high schools and colleges. Those particular, that particular subset of bullies are often victims of being bullied as well, so they play both roles. They do not snap. Um, as was previously thought, where they just have a breaking point. Uh, It is is built, the frustration, the aggravation, the humiliation over years, and then they take a very calculated approach to seeking revenge. And there's usually a lot of collateral damage and injury to other uh, members of the community that were not involved. Um, So they are starting to equate certain types of bullying with actual uh, at-home terrorist situations. But the vast majority of bullying Uh, is chronic lower level bullying uh, within various social structures such as schools or places of business. I'm going to emphasize a little bit on the female, uh, but this certainly has application to the male population. Typically there's four different categories in a bullying scenario. You have the queen bee, the ringleader. You also have the sidekick, and there's a video, if you've ever seen A Christmas Carol, uh, there's a great depiction of that circumstance where you have the bully, the sidekick, and they're preying upon a group of children. Sidekicks often are rendered powerless in the absence of the queen bee. Sometimes though, they take the flag and they take on the leadership role. Oftentimes though, they will be nice or at least indifferent to the people they've bullied in the absence of the queen bee. Bystanders. Uh, the person who witnesses and di- the disrespect and bullying and in is a position to provide appropriate help, and that's really important because you often have uh, students getting involved in social conflict where they'll become aggressive themselves and they say, I'm just watching my friend's back, I'm just uh, watching out for my, my friend, but they take on an aggressive role and that's not considered an appropriate intervention. And then you have the victim, students, instructors, colleagues, employees, any unintended target, again, Bullies in childhood often become bullies in the workforce, and they've had many years of practice, and so they're very good. Uh, their approaches are more subtle. Relational bullies are often very socially adept and understand, at least intuitively, uh, former and informal power structures. In any organization, whether it's a school or a place of business, you have the file and rank, the chief, the person in charge, the second in charge. It's tiered down to then all the uh, standard level employees or students In addition to that, there's informal structures. We all know in an organization who the go-to person is for various issues. They may not actually have a title associated with that, but they have credibility, power, and influence, and that's equally important in a social situation because bullies understand those two structures and know who to make their allies so that they can uh, bully their peers. Uh, Historically, We've been pretty good at detecting the bull in the china shop, Uh, the child that's physically aggressive, that's not missed on anyone. Many schools now are lit up with cameras. Certainly mine is no exception. There's nowhere I can go in the building that's public that is not videotaped live. Uh, The relational bullies have an excellent above average ability to make in the moment pro-social decisions that insulate them from accountability and they they become viewed as untouchable. A wonderful example of that would be uh, girl A is bullying girl B constantly. Girl B is in the hallway in front of me, she drops her books. Girl A immediately bends down and helps pick up those books for that girl while I watch. Suddenly I'm thanking her for being so proactive and a girl of good character. When actually, if you look at the nonverbal signs of the girl who dropped her books and you see that she has tense shoulders, that she's not looking at the girl who's helping her, that she's looking down at the ground, uh, that her jaw is clenched, you would then start to ask questions, why is she not showing appreciation? And that uh, that raises an antenna with me and I usually pull that girl aside and say, is this person usually nice to you? And most of the time they'll say, no, she was just nice to me in front of you. Uh, Anonymity is a real problem in electronic media. Uh, We try to groom our people to not, to to shut down when that is an option. Anonymous feedback, whether it's on Ask FM or Instagram or uh, Facebook, that you do not allow yourself to receive anonymous input. Uh, Many students find that hard uh, to deny themselves and then they wind up being crushed with a constant stream of negative input. So these, that particular approach is used for what I would call the novice and the experienced bully because of the chances of getting caught are so much decreased. Uh, there is gonna be additional talk about programs that address bullying, but really you have to come at it on mon- many fronts. You certainly have to understand who is most vulnerable to being bullied, although uh, to be honest with you, I have found many children being bullied that I can't figure out for the life of me why, or equally true. A new girl or guy moves into a school district or a community and poses a threat because they are for whatever reason fabulous and the current fabulous person finds that a threat and so they go after the second fabulous person because they don't want to lose their status so it isn't always the underserved the underprivileged and the downtrodden who uh, receive huge amounts of relational bullying so it's good to understand the profiles of the victims and it's also very good to understand the profiles of the bullies and prevention efforts need to create a social infrastructure that does not passively permit that kind of behavior. And then of course we need to have response interventions, you know, the tertiary where a child is being victimized and we need to move in, intervene and provide redirection to the bully and social skill support to the victim emotional support as well. So in any organization, creating a climate that doesn't allow for that kind of bullying has to fit the organization. So a program or a structure for a middle school might look different than a high school of 4,000 students versus 1,000 versus a community college where you don't have on-campus living and everybody uh, commutes to the university versus a university where there's a lot of residential housing. All of these things impact the kind of program that you would adopt, the structures that you would create to insulate people from being victimized. And it has to be ongoing. So as technology changes and we go from wires to wireless and so forth, whatever systems in place needs to be adaptable to the changes in the organization. Certainly in a school, now they have high schools with a freshman academy, it's a separate facility from the sophomores, juniors, and seniors. That changes everything versus freshmen through seniors in one building. A middle school where all the kids are cross-pollinating is very different than if you have a sixth grade wing, a seventh grade wing, and an eighth grade wing. All of these things contribute to how social, interpersonal relationships are managed in an organization. You need to have partnerships. Uh, Everybody's invested in the community, local businesses, public officials, law enforcement, everybody has a stake in this situation. Certainly in our district, we have reached out to our local communities. And then budgets, sadly, everything costs money. And so there needs to be some kind of financial outlay uh, to support an ongoing community that is healthy for all participants. Staff quality, this is an interesting subcategory of industrial organizational psychology and that is choosing staff that aren't predators. (laughs) Good luck with that, right? Uh, And there's a lot of human rights issues with that. (laughs) You gotta be careful, OCR will be at you. But uh, the, the, the point being that if we can reliably choose employees that will embrace the existing culture and protect each other because in a public, service organizations such as this, the students are the students, whether it's at a community college or a high school or an elementary district, they come as they are. We don't pick and choose, um, but we do pick and choose our employees. And so it, within that area of power, making good decisions is important. So they don't uh, the, the bullies that don't leave an obvious trace um, are very difficult to catch. So, how do you stop it? Well, the, the big thing that's under-discussed in the, res- uh, in the public media is empathy. Empathy is basically what prevents us from being naughty. Uh, at, the child, at the developmental age of, let's say, birth to nine, it's I don't want to get caught, I don't want to get in trouble, or very rigid rules, that's good, that's bad. There isn't really a whole lot of world of gray. Empathy, charity begins at home, right? Empathy begins with how you relate to your family, okay? Don't poke the dog in the eye, don't hit your sister, how would you feel if that happened to you? These are the kinds of basic things that many children experience when they're being raised from, by whoever, but people that don't have a full appreciation for the emotional impact on another person are less inhibited to negatively impact that person. It is only when you truly find a gut-wrenching reaction to how that would affect them Okay, so why, why don't I bully? Well, it's not because I'm afraid of getting caught. I'd probably be good at it. I've learned from the best, you know. Uh, but what keeps me from doing it is I don't give myself permission Ooh. to behave that way towards others. So from a developmental perspective, um, Piaget, if you've taken an intro to psych class, you've, taken P- you've learned about Piaget and Kohlberg and their extensive writing and research on the developmental levels that occur through the lifespan, including moral development. Frighteningly, not all people reach uh, Kohlberg's stage six, which deals with universal principles. No matter where you are on the planet, all of these are truisms, all people believe in this. Except for radical terrorist organizations, it's about understanding personhood and really understanding what it means to be human, and that's a very high level of development. And children can't get there without coaching. Uh, In the tween years, middle school, where I sit, moral judgment goes through that shift, it starts to go from rule bound to focusing on intentions. The intentionality of my behavior and the intentionality of yours. And that right or wrong is based, sure it's based on rules, don't go over the speed limit, but it's also based on intentionality. Okay, so if you're driving 80 miles an hour because you wanna get to the party on time, and the speed limit's 65, and I'm driving 80 miles an hour, and it's a you know, high-performance vehicle, dry pavement, good visibility, no traffic, and my dad has a, clo- a closed head injury, and I'm trying to get him to the hospital, we're both violating the speed limit, but they're not the same. So that kind of thinking starts to emerge in the middle school years. Um, youth and adults need exposure to this kind of reasoning. Many children have empathy in their home the backyard. To move your empathy outside your front door and into the larger community requires that coaching because most kids will at least feel bad if their their sister breaks their leg. But they won't necessarily feel bad if some unknown kid down the hallway breaks their leg uh, because they haven't been taught a higher level of empathy. So there are heroes among us that will stand alone and do what's right in a stressful situation regardless of the negative outcome or backlash that comes to them. But in order to increase the number of heroes, and they are among us, but they're bystanders and they're afraid. Better you get bullied than me. I'm too afraid to get involved. In order to increase the courage of those people, we need to have an infrastructure that supports that kind of care and concern for each other. If they don't feel like the larger group, the larger structure has their back to protect, then they'll just continue to walk by as a bystander. And now I'm going to pass it over to Stacy, who's gonna talk about programs.
4: Hi, I'm Stacy Sharon, and I'm gonna talk about um, different programs that are out there that schools can use, even communities can use um, in light of bullying, in in an attempt to um, work together to eliminate this, and not necessarily eliminate it, but maybe put a stop to it and bring some awareness um, to people um, that are out there. One of the first programs I'm gonna talk about is Character Counts, and I don't know if some of you have ever heard of Character Counts, maybe it has been in your school, um, I used to work with Character Counts program um, several years ago um, at, a, at a job that I had where I was president of the coalition. And the coalition meant that the schools and the community were working together. And part of it, um, Character Counts, there are six pillars that we speak about in, in Character Counts. And um, those pillars are trustworthiness, <clears throat> which talks about being honest and not deceiving people, respect, Follow the golden rule. We all know about the golden rule. We learned about it from when we were young, or at least hopefully we did. Uh, Responsibility, do what you're supposed to do. Fairness, play by the rules. That will help us all if we all can play by the rules. Caring, be kind and compassionate. And citizenship, do your share to make your community better, wherever that community might be. Maybe it's a school, maybe it's at a job. Uh, And and I really like this Character Counts program because it can be applied to the work setting as well, not just a school program in which we can work together. We can hold people accountable to our behaviors if we follow this. Character Counts has a whole curriculum that can be devised for schools to use uh, in in your school or even in your business. Um, So that is a really, it's a wonderful program that uh, Michael Josephson uh, started years ago. The next one um, program that I found is through the National School Climate Resource Center, and it's called Bully Bust, and it's an awareness campaign. And the idea is to reduce bullying in school school by teaching students and adults to stand up to bullying and promote upstander behavior. Uh, They really wanna work on transforming the culture of your school for students to become more socially responsible adults. Uh, So this is a really nice program um, that is out there that you can find online. And then the last one that I have is the It Gets Gets Better project. And this was founded by Dan Savage uh, and Terry Miller in uh, in 2010. And it's an Internet-based program. And the idea and the mission behind it uh, is to get the LGBT youth around the world um, the message that it does get better. Uh, they want to create and inspire changes um, that need to make for their lives to be better. And so what they do in this program is people create videos. And up to date, there have been 50,000 videos that have been created um, that people load onto YouTube. And there have been over 50 million um, visitors to these videos um, to pe- for people to get the message out that they are not alone. It's really a, a, a support system for people to really... Um, them find some um, peace in their life and and to know that they can work through whatever they have to work through for themselves. As far as parents go, um, parents really need to be uh, a role model for their kids and their friends that that are around. Uh, Teachers need to help keep parents informed as to what's going on in school um, and especially any school-wide efforts that they are promoting uh, out there. Parents also should become involved in school. Really, I don't think it matters the grade level. Um, they, there are parent-teacher associations. There's always opportunities for volunteering. There's action committees. Parents should become involved, and this, this could really help um, support not only your children but other children in this effort regarding bullying. And again, parents need to stop bullying when they see it. They cannot brush it off, as others have said, that it is not kids being kids. There's some real, um, real sustenance to that. To anything that they see out there. In schools, again, I mean, I just highlighted briefly three programs that are out there that can help schools um, create a positive school culture. And that is a really important things to, thing to do. Kids need to feel safe when they are in school, they want to feel safe. Um, they don't want to be scared to go to school. We've heard some alarming statistics earlier about the amount of children that are not going to school because solely of bullying. Schools really need to be aware of this and they need to do something about it as well. Uh, Schools also need to educate teachers. They need to help teachers and students understand the policies or the programs that they are going to implement so they can uh, implement them appropriately um, so that there will be an effect out there. There will be consequences or um, people can follow through with what they say they are going to do. And again, communication. Communication is key. We need to let the parents know We need to let the teachers know whenever we are going to uh, uh, change any policies, implement anything else, Uh, we all want to be on the same page so that we can work together um, at home and in the community. Next we have Mary Beth.
5: I'm uh, Mary Beth Jarka, and I'm also part of the team here, the Education Department at Moraine Valley Community College. Uh, my second job is I work at CPS at Nathan Hale School. Not there now. Part of this committee here today. So when we look at the next part of this, we're not actually um, going to look at all of the answers because we obviously don't have that. <clears throat> excuse me. But rather we're going to take time to look at what we can do in terms of helping our, stu- our schools and our students kind of do embrace what we can do internally so I think what we've looked at so far in the panel is things that are going on externally the bullying externally and also programs being put into effect externally so now I want to take the time to look at what's the answer in terms of what we can do for ourselves and train our students internally okay so one of the quotes that I had up was that it's not about what life sends you but how you react to it so I think that's very powerful in the way that I know there's things in life that I have to address, but I've got to equip myself with those tools and techniques that I can do in order to kind of ward off the bully or to eliminate those situations that are gonna make me uncomfortable or make myself feel insecure in those situations. So let's look at the different components I see that could be the answer that we're going to really kind of help children embrace those tools that will internalize some of these techniques to use. Is bullying controlling people part of life? As long as you are alive on earth you will never remove difficult people from your life ever states Shola Richards and his techniques reflected in the definitive guide for dealing with extremely difficult people I came upon this guide and you can download this it's just a PDF and um, oh sorry and just googled it in the effect that I wanted to look at some training techniques that would really help children now as we go through these oftentimes it's really hard to teach children who are maybe five or six or seven years old a lot of these if we employ these techniques it might be for a more mature learner but I think oftentimes if we start with the younger ones we can teach them that a lot of that control will come from inside Uh, react by being proactive being prepared to thwart off the bully so again what can I do because at the end of the day it comes down to me oftentimes we know we've talked about external uh, programming but we want to really teach children those things okay first part is no one lives in a vacuum proactive techniques will help us in the effect that the behavior of a person is generally a direct result of the event that preceded the bullying so oftentimes when a child picks on someone else or is unkind or wants to take control of a situation that's a direct result of something that could have happened in their life five minutes ago or could be a direct re- uh, result of something that's um, bothering them from two days ago, we're not quite sure. But keeping in mind that those things happen because something is probably a problem for the bully themselves. Perhaps getting to know the bully in a different arena can help the victim understand why they act the way they do. If you're on the debate team with that person but you see them act differently in school, sometimes you get to know them in a different setting and think, well, they're really not so bad, but obviously their personality might change when they're in a different setting. Uh, Taking the time to research his or her own background may lead to a better understanding of their actions. I know we talked about that's often not the case, but sometimes truly students come, people in the workplace come, uh, people in a relationship come, where they're bringing some baggage with them that is truly impacting how they treat other people. Being proactive allows the victim to take the power away from the bully and return it to oneself. Um, Ironically in CPS, even though in our hallways it all talks about Um, If someone's bullying you, slip the teacher a note, um, slip the administrator a note, and let them know who the problem, uh, where the problem is, or who it could be. But again, um, right now, they don't even wanna use the term bullying. I think we've probably said it a 100 times here today already this morning, because they think the term is too empowering. So they wanna talk about characteristics of what the bullying may be doing. Um, Inappropriate teasing, inappropriate behavior, unkindness. They want to switch the empowerment on to the individual who could possibly be the object or the victim of the bullying, to let you know you have the power to not allow this to happen. Uh, the people who are the meanest in the world generally need your nicest the most. This is one of my all, and again, at the risk of sounding like Dr. Phil here, I've taken a lot of my favorite quotes, and I really think they will empower people in given situations to not allow people to treat you that way. Oftentimes we find out you teach people or train people how to treat you so when the bully knows that you're continually going to take their misbehavior or their that the way that they treat you it's going to be a continuous effort so you are the one that has to take the empowerment back and say i'm not going to allow this and whatever techniques you employ they have to be continuous Um, richard lavoy one of our favorites in the education world always says broken record works the most because when someone can't wear you down, they get the message. Might not be the first time or the second time, but if the broken record techniques keep going and you say the same thing over and over again, you start to take the power back to you. And I think that in the world where we need accountability, not that the bully doesn't, but you need to take accountability that I'm not going to let anyone treat me that way. And sometimes we train people, but we're unaware of it. It's more implicit than it is explicit. Uh, If you are being bullied, you are allowing it to happen. Okay, so the empowerment part really needs to come back onto the victim or the object of the bullying. Uh, Safety in numbers. Uh, What victims don't usually realize is that the bully is fueled by emotional responses. Crying, yelling back, running away, becoming physically ill is what the bully is hoping will happen. Uh, Another quote that I saw in our hallways, it's kind of inspiring every day to find a new quote, just like it is at Moraine, um, was that negative responses Okay, when you answer back, when you buy into negative responses, you will never have peace. And all you're doing is creating, again, that empowerment for the person that's doing that to you. The bully is only effective if the victim allows it. Uh, United we stand, you've all heard that, divided we fall. If the victims do not allow the bully to be successful, then the power of the bully fizzles. So the principal at my school took in, uh, as Mrs. Ditchman had talked about, especially in the special ed classes, and in special ed classes sometimes, and when I was in last semester, there were children in there who had behavior disorders who were cognitively very bright. So they weren't in there for that reason. And there were children in there who did have cognitive disabilities and, and um, probably had look, excuse me, lower IQs who did need some type of coaching. So oftentimes when they would um, hear comments like, in my classroom, they would say, well, you don't know because you don't get things like that. Or you don't understand it because you're not as smart as I am. So because this was not acceptable in my room, the principal and I, we kind of staged an intervention with everyone and we said, how do you feel when people treat you like this? Well, they knew enough to know that that was wrong. So then we tried to employ techniques because after a while, no one bought into it. No one laughed, no one gave them any eye contact. No one did any of those things that made the bully want to continue. So after a while, it became no fun anymore. So the bully just kind of gave up and almost kind of just went away because the fun was taken out of it. So we looked at the program where let's really try to educate those that are being bullied and don't let the empowerment continue to be on the bully themselves. Uh, So as I said, the principle's really taken both sides of this because I do think there's not really a dichotomy of how it is we need to approach it. We need to approach it externally, like we had talked about, but I do think the accountability has to come from within as well and to be more internal. That framework needs to be like an infrastructure internally to say, I'm going to be proactive and how is it that I'm going to employ these techniques so this doesn't happen who has the power now making the world a more positive place isn't up to the bully it's up to you to do the right thing St. Shola Richards Um, again some of these um, guidelines that he practices in this um, guide that he's put together they seem so simple and you've probably heard them all but it's so powerful and enlightening when you just see the steps that he takes it's definitely worth looking into Uh, remember how we train people to treat us have strategic or strategies that everyone in school employs at all time oftentimes when you're looking at personal techniques to be proactive practice that at home okay stand in front of the mirror have somebody say oh if somebody does this what would you do how would you respond to that sometimes walking away is the answer sometimes just saying no but letting them know that your behavior is not acceptable Uh, Anticipate other people's bullying behavior and prepare your response. If you know every day if somebody's coming into your class, if you're high schooler, you know every day that kid comes in every day and says the same thing, talk that over with a teacher or counselor. Have some preparation in hand. Uh, Recondition and practice your new reactions to aggression and have faith that your own abilities will ultimately work if you continue to use them. Okay, in conclusion, bullying is a serious issue that school children face every day children, young children, uh, high school students. Um, I'm hoping this isn't the case, but maybe some of you have encountered that at Moraine Valley. I mean, we try to do the best here to make it a safe environment, teachers that you could speak to. So I, I, I hope and pray that's not the case. It's important for educators to be aware and understand the impact and it can happen in individual personal education in any part of life. So when I see that happening, whatever the case is, I make sure that both parties are recognized, the person that's doing it and the person that's the object of the bullying because they need to understand that sometimes it's not a personal attack. You're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, School should be an environment where children feel safe and allow the opportunity to learn and grow, not a place that threatens them. And oftentimes one bully, we don't think about that as the bully bullying the teacher, but sometimes that does happen and kind of takes over the classroom. Uh, through the influence of positive role models, proactive prevention, we can help to decrease the amount of bullying that takes place in our school system. Uh, let me ask really quick, how many of you um, have seen, and I don't need to um, show of hands, but doesn't really have to be a personal situation for you, but you have seen many of the things we've spoken about here today? Okay, how many of you have ever tried to employ some techniques where you've really tried to say, this, this is about me? We talk about student responsibility and learner responsibility in education classes. Same thing for personal. How many of you have ever tried to employ those techniques? I'm going to ignore the bully. I'm going to be strong here. I'm going to get all people safety in numbers. Okay, so those are all good techniques that we can do. So we're gonna open up for questions. Go from there. there, um, is anyone final note?
2: I did want to bring to your attention on October 6th, it's National Stomp Out Bullying Day, it's called the Blue Shirt Project, many of you might uh, be aware of it, but they sell blue shirts that say Stomp Out Bullying, and so that is October 6th, um, you can go online to stop bullying, I believe it's .gov, um, for more information.
0: Okay, so we'll open up for questions from our panel folks, so turn on your microphones. And um, I'll come to you with the microphone for questions just so that everyone can hear and that we're able to hear you on the video. So who wants to go? Okay.
4: Are any of you aware of the news story about a boy that brought a backpack to school, which was a My Little Pony backpack and the approach of the school to stop the bullying was to ban him from bringing the backpack to school because they believed the problem was that he was provoking the bullying.
2: I I I did hear about the story but I don't know. We can't hear you. Just getting me to use this mic. Is it not even on? It's on. It's on, you can hear me. Um, I did hear the story and um, I did realize that it was, I believe they said a zero tolerance in order to protect the young child. It was a boy who carried the My Little Pony, correct, that they asked him to do that. And I think that would kind of look maybe um, to what Mary Beth was talking about earlier about, you know, making yourself maybe not the target of bullying, looking within yourself um, and being proactive. I think that was the school's approach, I'm, I'm not here to say whether or not it was right or wrong. That. Mm-hmm.
3: I think it's very difficult to answer that question without knowing the details. For example, if the child is not invested in the My Little Pony backpack, it's not his favorite backpack, I think that there's a conversation that needs to happen with that child because if he says it's the only backpack I have, I wish I didn't have that backpack, well, we could solve it one way. If he says, I've always loved My Little Pony and I play with her with my little sister all the time, well then we have to go in another direction because we have to accept him for who he is. So the the story as you give it to me right now is insufficient for me to comment as to why the school gave the advice that they did. But I do think that your point is, if I can assume your point, it's well taken that if a child comes with a certain identity of themselves and preference for likes and certain dislikes and it isn't causing harm or disrupting the learning environment, why can't he just have his My Little Pony backpack? And the answer is, of course he can. Uh, So my guess is, because I like to assume that my colleagues are not incompetent, and I don't know these colleagues in this other school, but assuming goodwill and well-educated and well-credentialed people, I'm wondering whether or not there wasn't a sit-down conversation with those adults about why the circumstances are as they are and why that advice was given. Does that make sense to you? That at first blush, it's too soon to judge.
0: Other questions or comments? (laughs) Really?
2: Nothing? Do I see Haley's hand in the back? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It's like class start calling. I knew she would. She's not even my student this semester. (laughs) If I called her out, she would say something.
5: I guess I was wondering something while you guys were speaking. Um, Something that I notice a lot with bullying with children, because I work with children, um, would be that they're mostly the victim would be mostly scared to come forward about the bullying because they don't want to seem like a tattletale, which would usually result in more more bullying. Um, How do you think that would? What would be the best way to solve that?
1: I guess my perspective is everybody has grown up with thou shall not narc you know among kids in school everybody knows it because if you tell on somebody else then you'll never be trusted but I think at some point we try to work with our students on if it's hurting somebody else or hurting themselves that you need to come forward in order to do that and try to get away from that myth of thou shalt not narc that makes you untrustworthy. I did this in order to try to help those kinds of things from my perspective.
5: Um, I was just going to say that once I figure this microphone out, um, I feel like because I work with the younger children um, during the day usually, I really try to keep my finger on the pulse to kind of keep my ears open and see what's going on. So when I see something that's inappropriate, rather than stopping instruction, or if it's in a collaborative, if they're doing group work, rather than stopping it, I usually try to then pull my group together and I'll give like a hypothetical. Like how would you feel? Because if that was in my classroom or in my home with my own children, that would make me really sad. So I kind of throw it back onto me, but yet I come up with a hypothetical and I come up with a different setting so that, and then I give eye contact a little bit more to the person that's doing what they shouldn't be doing. I want to stay away from the bully word and hopefully they get my message in more of a subliminal way and if they don't when they walk out the door I'll say you know what this is a classroom where this is a community and you need to be a community citizen where everybody works together and be nice because I don't want to come to work to I wouldn't want to come to work every day if everybody wasn't nice to me and this is your workplace. So that's kind of how I address it and I think everybody at the end of the day gets to whom I'm speaking and hopefully it's a good message for everybody when the same situation comes up. Go ahead, keep going.
3: Working in mental health, uh, not in front of the classroom every day, if a student comes to me and they're telling me about this and they're afraid of retribution, and that's legit, uh, one of the things, the strategies that I use and my colleagues use as well is, first of all, having them explain the circumstance and letting them know I'm not gonna do anything but listen at this point so they don't need to panic and then finding out if they had a magic wand, what would they like to have happen? And rating this on a scale from one to 10, is this cataclysmic 10, a low burner, three. And once we've gotten that rating, and I've had them tell me what time of the day, the location, all of that, and this is where technology works in my favor. I, we have cameras, so sometimes I'll say, is this something that I can view on camera, or is it more social or relational? And once I zero in on the location, If the child can endure a few more days, I can get other adult eyes to accidentally catch it. And then the child is removed from the discussion entirely because they didn't tell on anybody. It was discovered by the adults. And so we work very hard at insulating the children from retribution. And when it is determined, if the child is able to figure out who told, I can assure you that a well-structured, supportive school can stop the retribution. <laughs> sometimes with just a few really carefully worded conversations with the bully, so sometimes that's all it
0: takes. Other questions? It was so complete that we have no questions. <laughs> How about uh okay yeah.
4: So when I was in junior high we had this thing called like a bully box which was kind of like this box in like the library where like you could put like on a sheet like if someone was bullying you I was just curious what your guys input on that like solution as a form of like finding out about bullying because from my perspective I I didn't know anyone who ever used it or anything like that so you you guys think of it like when they make these like bully boxes that they're more of like a way for the school to say that oh we're we're taking action or do you think they actually are working? If
3: I work in the schools I guess I'm on this review. as well as you. Right. You, know, you know the schools vary so much now with technology and I'm very fortunate to work in a school district that the community supports uh, the technology in the schools. That's an irrelevant approach right now because most of my kids have one-to-one technology iPads. They would simply email me. <laughs> you know. Very private, no chance of being caught. And, and that additional opportunity for them takes away the need for the bully box. But there's a lot of schools that don't have those features and so then they do have to have a venue. And before we had that, I've worked both pre and post uh, technology and we had a place for them to get a hold of us so that they could talk privately. And you don't know what you don't know, but I can tell you that we had a lot of children willing to come and talk to us and let us know what was going on. And this is where it becomes key, the bystander. I have a lot of bystanders coming and telling me, I'm too afraid to address this, but I can't stand watching it. If you go back to that video, the boy in the beginning where he was grayed and then he started to get the color in because he was a bystander and it was bothering him and he had empathy, but he didn't have the courage. So then he got grayed out again because he kept walking and then he was looking at the ground in shame because he just couldn't take himself there. But he could take himself to another adult possibly that could take action, so.
0: And when your school sets the culture or the tone uh, or the environment, are people encouraged then to use the technology for that purpose? Yes.
5: (laughs) And we do do that at CPS. We have it for the younger children. And one of the goals is that, Um, If they have to reiterate what happened to an adult and the adult writes it down because they're unable to write at that point if they're primary kids then it gives them time to like rethink what happened and then choose their words and then the adults can question so is this what you want to write down in the box. I know for our principal the only concern she ever has is if it goes for the upper kids oftentimes the bullying can occur in the bullying box because they'll not like somebody and they'll almost set up a scenario for the opposite way so she's very Um, very tuned in to how children's mind works and I think it's definitely um, much more it's a safer bet for the primary kids because they get to retell they get to collect their thoughts they're not they always say never give a speech when you're angry so they get to put their words down as they replay it and yet it's more precise the I know for the junior high kids in the middle school she's a little bit concerned about the validity of the complaints
0: other questions good questions how about a round of applause for our panel members thank you and a special a special thanks to julie for coming in uh driving down uh giving her time for us so thank you for that thanks for listening to this moraine valley community college library event podcast For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library.